to sit down as you do so. Bernie's going to come and uh, bring us our reading. You'll find it on page 1061 in the Bibles that you've got. And uh, Bernie's going to come and read it. Do you want to sit here? Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. It'd be worth keeping that passage open in front of you as we look at it together. Um, my son has been um, doing a whole load of things for the first time that have made me do a lot of remembering. He's getting sort of old enough now that I start to feel like I remember what it felt like to be that age. Clearly I don't, but I feel like I do. 
and uh, he's just been away on a school trip for a week, and the first time he's been away for that long, and um, he's uh, been uh, involved in various out-of-school activities that are making me remember stuff that, that I did when I was a teenager. And uh, we were looking through some photos the other day, and I was remembering vividly what the first day at university felt like, uh, and then realising that for him that could be just four years away um, or something that's terrifying uh, like that. And what was tickling me was that I was remembering that first day at university and how sure I was that I knew how it would feel to be a student and how being a student would work. I sort of had mapped out for me. I knew I was going to be there four years, that was the course I was doing, and I sort of had a pretty clear sense, you know, what it's going to look like, and, and, you know, I'm going to do a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and lots of the other, and as little work as possible, and that's what these four years were going to look like. And you get into a few few weeks in, and you realise that pretty much nothing is quite what you expected it to be. Pretty much everything is different. And uh, at that point, you can either sort of dig your heels in and go, no, this is, I'm going to do it the way that I thought it was going to be. Or you have to face this new reality and live within what's real and what's true. But we do that at all sorts of points in life, don't we? Particularly at the big points, the memorable points in life. There are those moments of what we feel like is clarity. When we think, I know now what the next bit of life looks like. It might be a new job. It might be a new child. It might be a child of our starting school or leaving school. But we sort of have a sense, right, I know what this next bit looks like. I'm pretty convinced that for Cleopas, and I think probably his wife, as they walked on the road to Emmaus, they had a pretty clear sense of what life looked like next. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. It wasn't something that made their hearts skip or sing. For them, things had come to an end. Their friend Jesus, whom they were convinced was going to be God's rescuer, the one who was going to come and rescue God's people, who they hoped was going to kick out the Romans, the one whom they were sure was going to sit on God's throne as God's king, ruling God's people in God's way. He was gone. That was the end. As far as they were concerned, they knew what the rest of life looked like. They were sure they knew how things would turn out. And then this happens. They're walking back home, back to what they knew, back to the old life, back to a sense of, oh, well, that's what it's going to be. And Jesus comes alongside them. And looking back on this point, they must have realised that this was the moment when life changed direction. This was the moment when they realised that nothing of what they thought about the future was actually true, when nothing was going to be the same again where all their expectations of Jesus gone were replaced by the potential of Jesus present. Because they'd got it all wrong. And Jesus spends time with them in order to show them what the future actually can now look like with him. Now, you'd think on the face of it that we are in a much better place than Cleopas and his wife when it comes to the resurrection, when it comes to Easter, when it comes to the presence of Jesus with us. Because you would think that since we know the story of Easter, you know, we know the ending, we shouldn't be caught out. Uh, We're currently re-watching The West Wing um, for, I think, the third time through. That's a lot of hours of TV, but well worth watching if you've never seen it before. And um, this time we're watching it with Stephen, my son. And um, 
I, it's a very interesting experience sitting there. Uh, he's on the sofa there, and we watched an episode. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but there is a particular episode where it is revealed who leaked some very sen- highly sensitive, confidential, top-secret information. And um, from my left, there was this... <gasps> and I thought, oh, yeah, he didn't know that. I hadn't realised. I sort of knew what was coming. He sort of traced it through. I know what was coming. For him, it was brand new. For Clear Press and maybe his wife, it was brand new. They had no idea what was coming. We do. But that's equally our problem. Because we know the Easter story, because we know that Good Friday is followed by Easter Sunday, because we know that the death of Jesus is followed by his resurrection, we both lose something of the impact of Good Friday but also we lose something of the surprise of Jesus' risen life. But also we think we know what it is. We think we know what it looks like. And the great thing about this story is that in lots of different ways, it unpicks some of the myths about Jesus' resurrection that you and I have taken in over the years. Maybe not all of these will be your myth, but some of them might be. It starts at the end. That's where I want to start, at the end of the story. And, and the myth that I think we, want, we need to nail first is the myth that what the resurrection was was simply God making Jesus alive again. Uh, a previous bishop of Durham, I don't know, it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, got into terrible trouble um, and managed to make it onto the front of all the tabloids, which for bishops is almost never a good thing. Um, by um, seeming to question the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know whether you remember that. And um, he, I don't know, he was a bit, uh, uh, maybe unwise in his choice of words. But when you read what he actually said, the heart of what he was trying to say is something I would thoroughly agree with, which was, he said this phrase, the resurrection of Jesus was not merely a conjuring trick with bones. The point he was trying to make, I think he was saying rather more than that, and that bit I wouldn't agree with, but this heart of it was, he's saying it wasn't simply that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was God turning the clock back. Instead, it was God turning the clock forward. Let me show you what I mean. Um, Verse 30, Luke 24, verse 30, page 1062. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. Now that is one of the oddest verses in the whole of scripture on the face of it. Firstly, why would they not recognise Jesus? This was their friend. Would you not recognise your friend just days after you'd seen them? I hope you would. Why did they not recognise him up until that point? And then look what it says he did. Their eyes were opened, they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. Now, when you start to put that together with the other resurrection appearances, you start to put together this jigsaw that shows us that this myth, this misunderstanding that the resurrection was simply Jesus, God, turning the clock back to make Jesus alive again, is simply not what the Bible says about the resurrection. For a start, although it is very clear from all the New Testament accounts that Jesus was physical, he could be touched and hugged, he could eat fish with them and he broke bread, he was real, a real presence. He wasn't a ghost, a spirit, a vision, he was real. And yet, there were times when he was unrecognised. 
Jesus doesn't, sorry, um, Mary doesn't recognise Jesus in the garden. She thinks he's the gardener. Cleopas and his wife don't recognise him on the road to Emmaus. They only recognise him when he sits and breaks bread. But not only is he not immediately recognisable all the time, he seems to be able to appear and disappear at will. So it says he disappeared from their side. It doesn't say he got up and left them. He disappeared. And then we find out that um, verse 36, which we didn't have read to us, but a little bit further on, he appears to Jesus, to his friends, and we know that they're hidden in a locked upper room. And he appears. So what is this resurrection? If Jesus has a body that is physical and real, that eats and drinks and can be held and touched, and yet on the other hand is somehow different and can appear and disappear at will, what's going on? See, we don't see the resurrection as simply resuscitation, a turning the clock back. Actually, the Bible says that resurrection is a turning the clock forward. What we see in Jesus is not simply God doing a miracle to make everything better. It's God bringing the future into the present. The resurrection of the the life of the world to come, this new life, this new gift that God promises to all who die with him is brought into our present. Jesus is what the Bible calls the firstborn from among the dead. He is the resurrected one. He's the one in whom this new life that's promised for all of us is seen walking and talking and eating, being touched, being known and breaking bread. It's a taste of the life of the world to come. It isn't God turning the clock back to make everything okay again. It's God turning the clock way forward to show us that everything will be okay. To show us that their life will be given. It's the life of the world to come, not simply a bit more of the life of this world. Now, that's really important to us because this wasn't simply God turning the clock back and hoping things would be a bit better. This was God showing that there was true hope in the life of the world to come. This was God showing that in Jesus, this future was certain, was real, was ours. And those dominoes topple back further because we then find that there's another myth that would be easy to miss. Because this new life that God gives Jesus is shown to be not simply God responding to Jesus' death with a rescue. Countless films and books are written on the the back of, you know, a disaster that happens and some superhero or some um, uh, fantastically... uh, well um, trained individual goes and rescues an individual who's in trouble and there are times when we can think of Easter and the resurrection as God rescuing Jesus as if God is somehow being caught out by Jesus's death and then we go wow God does a miracle and makes him alive again that's not Easter at all and we know it's not Easter partly because of what Jesus does with them on the road to Emmaus Verse 25, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, look, this wasn't an accident. It didn't suddenly go wrong. This isn't God pulling an iron out of the fire, God swooping down as superhero to rescue. This is what God intended from the beginning. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus 
were what was promised. Now, I would absolutely give anything to have been a fly on the wall of that conversation. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus spending those few minutes, maybe an hour or two as they walk towards Emmaus, going back through the scriptures and starting with the prophets and going all the way back to Moses and showing how in all of the Old Testament what he had come to do was promised, prefigured, foreshadowed. I'd love to have heard that. I wish they'd written it down. But the fact of it is enough for the moment that Jesus was saying this wasn't plan B. This wasn't simply God rescuing something that had gone wrong. This was the plan from the beginning, that God in Christ would come and live for us the life we could not live for ourselves, would die for us the death we cannot face on our own, and would give to us the life we could not get for ourselves, the life of the world to come, this life that is what we were made for. It was always intended. Easter is not the response to a tragedy. Easter is God's big plan for all of creation to give us his friendship, to give us his rescue, to give us his love and forgiveness in Christ. So resurrection is not simply a conjuring trick with bones. God turning the clock back and making things okay. It's God turning the clock forward, giving us a taste of the life of the world to come. Nor is resurrection God's out of the frying pan rescue as if something's gone wrong and he's going to put it right this was God's plan from the beginning but I think one of the most important things that would be easy to miss from this is the fact that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't what Jesus's friends were expecting it wasn't what any of his friends were expecting See, I think sometimes you and I feel on quite shaky ground when it comes to the resurrection. When it comes to the Christian faith, Christmas is easy. I mean, I find this going into schools all the time. If somebody asks me to come to an assembly or a lesson about Christmas, dead easy. Birth of a child, three wise men bearing gifts, a stable, donkeys. It's it's a gift in schools. And it's a gift when we invite friends and families to church. Come to a Christmas service, easy. It's wonderful. It's lovely. It's a great story. Easter is more of a problem. Easter involves torture and death. And then of all things, a resurrection. It's very easy to feel a bit wobbly about it. To think, well, let's just move past that quickly, get on into the rest of the year and talk about the love of God and being good to one another and Christian. And I think one of the things that worries us is when people say to us, well, you know, Jesus' friends, yeah, we know that they write about meeting Jesus. We know that they claim to have met the risen Jesus, that they claim to have eaten with him and walked with him and touched him and and hugged him and known him in, in the flesh. But, you know, they would say that, wouldn't they? How can you believe their testimony? They would say that, wouldn't they? Actually, the whole point is, no, they really wouldn't. 2,000 years ago, people didn't imagine that people raised from the dead any more than we do today. They were just as astonished as we would be today. They didn't expect to see Jesus ever again. They were going home in order to pick up their lives where they'd left off and everything was going to go back to normal. Just a bit worse because all their hopes were dashed. They weren't expecting to see Jesus. They weren't expecting resurrection. There was nothing in what you would believe as a good Jewish man or woman as they were in your worldview, in your faith to imagine anybody would come back from the dead. Some Jews believed in a life of the world to come, yeah, some didn't. 
But nobody would ever imagine that the dead would rise. How ridiculous. As ridiculous 2,000 years ago as it is today. And look at the surprise. Verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they don't say, we're waiting for Jesus to rise from the dead. That's despite the fact that Jesus has given them hints and promises along the way. They can't get it. What they're actually discussing is how terrible it is that all these terrible things happen to Jesus. And he's gone. It's the end. Nobody expected Jesus to rise. They were devastated. All their hopes for the Romans being kicked out, for their religion being re-established, for righteousness and God's kingdom coming, all of them were gone. That was the end. No hope. Done. Most of them ran away. Every one of them was planning to go home, pick up life where it had started again. But Jesus comes to them. We imagine as if this was part of what they expected. It wasn't even on the horizon. It wasn't the slightest, wildest dream that they could have had. And that's one of the many reasons we have to take really seriously their testimony. Because they knew as well as we did how ridiculous this sounds, writing it down. They would have been just as difficult to convince as we were. That's why I love Thomas, who we might come to in another week. But it's why I love that Jesus has to spend time with Cleopas and his wife. He needs to spend time with them so that when they look back, they think, that was Jesus. We actually talked with him. We walked with him. We saw his footprints in the dust of the road. We sat at the table with him. We saw him pick up bread and break it. We saw the holes in his wrists. And then he went. The resurrection was as unexpected for them as it is difficult for us to believe. But it transformed their lives. Everything was different. They thought they knew what the future looked like. You never know what the future looks like with God. And they had no idea what was about to happen. Jesus, the risen Jesus, the one not simply resuscitated, brought back from the dead, the one who was bringing to them the new life of the future. The one who wasn't simply rescued in a moment of sort of superpower miracle by God, but the one who was the object of God's whole plan for humankind had come utterly unexpectedly to bring them the new life of God. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know whether you're still chewing it over, getting past the surprise of it or the, the ridiculousness of it. I don't know whether, on the other hand, it's simply something that you've taken for granted for years. And we need to step back into the story and see the wonder of it, the surprise of it, the unexpectedness of it. That this Jesus was raised not how we expect, but to give us a taste of the new life that's to come. And what Jesus' friends discovered that day and in all the days that came between then and when Jesus went back to be with his Father in heaven, what they discovered was that in this new life, Jesus had the presence of God and the power of God to give them for the whole of their lives. See, the most important thing about the unexpectedness of the resurrection is that if this was simply a conjuring trick with bones, 
if this was simply a moment, a miracle in history, if this was, even worse, something simply made up by the disciples to cope with their disappointment because they they had a great story to tell, all of this would simply be ancient history, something from 2,000 years ago that you and I could take or leave and walk away from. But the truth of the resurrection of Jesus is that it is as real for us, important for us, and potentially life-changing for us as it was for Cleopas and for his wife that day on the road to Emmaus. Because Jesus comes to us too. If we will let him, he walks along with us in the dust of the road in our normal everyday lives. He sits with us as we eat. He talks with us if we will only listen. He reveals himself to us if we will simply have eyes to see. Because he's alive today because he reigns on high today, because he sends his Holy Spirit to be with us, to bring the new life of the world to come into the present of our lives today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that that life that you give us is the taste, the promise, the knowledge of the life of the world to come. Thank you that you give us the confidence to know that all things are in your hands, even life and death itself. Thank you, Jesus, that you're here. And we pray that we would have eyes to see you and ears to hear you and hearts that are wide open to your resurrection presence with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.